Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kenny Tomowo about L&D at Netflix. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Kenny, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks for having me, David. Good to be here. Uh, So Kenny, you work in the team responsible for leadership, culture and talent management at Netflix for the UK and EMEA. A lot of people, including myself, will be incredibly interested in how L&D works at Netflix. So perhaps we could start there? Yeah, sure. Happy to. And I think that, um, again, really, really glad to be here. I'd say all start with our culture. Mm. Um, you know, probably if we're going to have a conversation about what we now call talent management. So we've been on a, on a journey. We, you know, like a lot of organizations, you know, reframing what does learning development mean? What does it look like in the organization? So we used to describe it as learning and organizational development. We've now sort of internally uh, repositioned to focus more broadly on talent management. And I can say some more about, about why a bit later. But yeah, I would start with, you know, for people listening, our culture. Mm. Uh, probably around 15 years ago, um, you might remember the culture deck that yeah. was released. I think it was around 2007, 2009. Um, and, you know, back then, so many different departments and HR functions, I think were interested in a culture. Mm. And what I would say is coming to Netflix around 18 months ago when I did, the thing that has struck me the most is how much the culture informs everything we do. Mm. So I would say that in, in answer to your question, you know, what does L&D look like? Well, you know, ultimately L&D revolves around our principle of talent density. So at Netflix, mm. we use this phrase talent density, which is essentially that we're bringing the best people. You know, we, we, we're in a privileged position where we can hire really great talent. And so the challenge from a learning development perspective is, when you're hiring such creative, high-end, high-caliber people, mm. um, what's the best environment for them to grow, to be equipped, develop? And so everything, the philosophy, the strategy around L&D and talent management broadly, really leads, leads on from there, from that mm. sort of philosophical position around talent density and what do you do with great, really high-caliber uh, people? Mm. And what, what you've just described there first first of all Kenny I do remember the uh, the slide deck I think yeah, it was, uh, it was yeah. famous it was uh uh if if I remember rightly it was uh uh it was framed as the this is our people policy like there was you know there was almost like there, there was yeah. there was nothing else apart from this and it was incredibly empowering as well uh, yeah. I think it you know it, it pretty much followed the premise that um we've hired the smartest people now it's our job to make sure that you uh, you have all you need in order to 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 thrive here. So here's yeah. here's information on 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 that culture. Exactly, exactly. It, it's a bit like Steve Jobs. I don't know if you remember Steve Jobs was famous for saying something. Well, of short, of course you remember who Steve Jobs is, but <laughs> I don't know if you remember that he was famous for saying something like, you know, what's the point in leaders hiring really smart people, mm. great people, um, and then you just tell them what to do? Yeah. And that's a similar sort of, um, I think it's a similar sort of context that that we're in at Netflix. And I know we've we've got some specific questions around L and D, which we can definitely go into. But I think it's important for the audience to recognise that that context mm. uh, because it's the single thing that has 
really challenged me in terms of my thinking in this in this space. So I'll give you one concrete example in terms of, and this is all sort of public public knowledge, but let's take the you know the example of performance management, right? We mm. we don't do as you probably know, we don't do conventional performance management. You know, typically you would start the year, everyone has their goals and objectives. You would sit down with your manager, maybe put that in a system somewhere and you don't look at it for, for nine months or, or the end of the year. And then come the end of the year, you do those objectives, you do your calibration session, you get your nine box grid. Um, you find, you know, you know the rest of the story, mm. you find uh, the right banding for that. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's fine if you want, if what you need is consistency, you want scale, you know, that's, that's a mm. fine process in, in, its, in its space. But at Netflix, the culture really is essentially, you give, our, you give leaders three things. So you ask them, and let's see if I can remember them all, you ask them, you know, what, what could this person in your team get in the market? Mm. You know, so mm. what's their sort of personal top of market? Um, how much would you pay to keep them? Mm. So if you if you had to, you know, um, to keep them, how much would you pay to keep them? And the third one that we give is is eluding me. It will come back to me. But there are, there are essentially these three guiding guiding principles. Mm. Um, and and then essentially we give them there's you know there's a scope and say this is how much you've got, and we give them freedom and responsibility to make to make those decisions. So just to give you that just an example of the you know reed's book was was famous again no rules rules of mm. course we have rules we have processes we talk a lot on netflix around good process is good process but we don't want bad process and so again it's an environment where you've got really ambitious men and women um who uh really want to excel in their roles they've come from in many places cases they've come from industry where they've led um successful businesses successful roles so we come in there and so we don't want to infantilize them we don't mm. want to patronize them and so what's the best way and so probably that's the the sort of context and i'll remember the third one that will come to my mind in a moment yeah <laughs> uh, it's, it's always uh good to have the the listener uh, hanging on for uh, uh before we close the <laughs> yeah, loop yeah, yeah. so uh exactly, so we can we exactly. can say that we've done this on purpose kenny um yeah. uh, what what i like about that is something that uh that that i that I recognized as my L&D career went on, not so much at the beginning, because uh, at the beginning, um, the, the, the learning and development or training and development skill set was honed in the classroom. And it was much more around uh, the development and provision of programs and content around isolated skill sets. So, so it was, you know, whether it could be presentation skills, communication skills, you'd get your off-the-shelf content, you'd get your vendors who were expert, and it was all around the technical aspects. But the the, the problem with that is, as you've, you've uh, alluded to there, which you really grasp uh, as, you, uh, as you grow in learning and development, is that you cannot remove the skills from the context. They do yeah. not, they, what the, the successful, um, uh, application of skills cannot be distinct from the culture within any given organization, which is determined by the culture, which if you break that down is uh, the expected and rewarded behaviors that, uh, that um, are um, recognized and rewarded from leadership. Uh, it is the, what, what it means to be successful for the customers and clients. It's team members, peers, uh, and colleagues. Um, it is the systems, processes, and hierarchies. It's the technology which restricts all of that. Every yeah. single thing that uh, that uh, amplifies, protects, and restricts 
the way that people do things in your organization has a determining uh, uh, determining factor on what people what people should do and what what yeah. what is the expected reward of behaviors so culture is absolutely in- integral and yet so much of learning and development and we'll go we'll go on and, and yeah. we'll touch yeah. on uh, uh upskilling and reskilling at netflix later yeah. but when we talk about upskilling and reskilling simply from marketable um skills uh, uh and and characteristics we lose the the what we are fundamentally in in learning and development to do, uh, to do. Uh, you know I I could tell you many a story of uh, of talented people that were brought into organisations where I worked, um, yeah. some at very senior level, and you'd meet them and you could tell that they were going to struggle with the uh, the culture. We didn't really make it accessible for them to to perform and. That we were absolutely right. They did leave. Uh, they left under a cloud sometimes. Some of them just disappeared, Kenny. Uh, never to be seen again. But but what did we actually do in order to help them to, number one, recognize the culture and number two, navigate the culture? That's why I think that, you know, when you when you're saying that, that learning and development emanates from culture, I think Netflix and what you've just said there recognizes the what is absolutely true in every single organization, yeah. but isn't recognized or addressed within their learning and development functions is that something you've seen yeah yeah i think that um so so summarize that for me again because i think there's so many good things in what you've shared just then and, and, and but i want to make sure that i'm honest and, and responding yeah. directly <laughs> well yeah so so i i'd say that that in my experience a good 90% of le- what learning development are, are drawn into to help people to perform and grow their capability emanates from how to do the right things here at this yeah. organization, which yeah. cannot be distinct. Uh, you cannot uh, make a distinction between the, the technical skills or the or, or or industry knowledge and culture, which is how these apply inside your organization which is yeah. something that you've said that netflix recognizes that lnd emanates from culture but in many yeah. organizations lnd is distinct like is, is removed yeah. from culture because it's much more around the delivery and the provision of learning content around core skills that are remiss of any contextual uh exactly. relevance at all is, yeah. is that yeah. is that relevant to you yeah yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the words that we we talk a lot about is context. I would say yeah. if, if I was to, so so it's funny, Reed, Reed Hastings, our, our um, now chairman, former um, CEO, uh, would often summarize a culture as, um, and it sounds a bit cheesy, but dream team makes fulfilling work. That's his mm. sort of, and it's, it's great, you know, West Coast American um, uh, kind of <laughs> strap line which you know we all we, we all like um, and but but that whole concept of dream team is is again that concept of you're bringing in great people to do great work together um and but the context is important the context in terms of you know what are the challenges that these folk are facing in their roles um we're not we're not sort of and i know you talk a lot about this on your podcast with other guests we're not dumping content on them mm. we're, we're not a university we're not taking them through um mandatory um events for the sake of it i get that in certain regulatory and compliance based organizations there's a there's a space for that so i don't want people to feel like i'm knocking that um but but absolutely the the, the context is absolutely absolutely mm. important um you know if, if i think about you know just to give you again some examples right you know, if we think about you know everyone watches Netflix, or at least most people watching or listening to this, hopefully watch um, Netflix. Um, you know, this is innovation 
you know, really in the cutting edge innovation in the last 25 years or so. So the challenge then is how do you, what's, what should a HR and talent organization look like in a company that has disrupted, you know, the entire tech ecosystem, the entertainment mm-hmm. ecosystem in the last 25 years? And, and what should it not look like? And so what it certainly shouldn't look like is, is the sort of things that you describe and where we, we aren't thinking critically and innovatively around, around the space. So again, in case listeners feel like I'm sort of um, being too generic here, the culture, it starts from the culture because the culture is about innovation and, mm. and our culture isn't, the culture isn't the end goal, the L&D isn't the end goal. What we talk about at Netflix is excellence is the end goal. So excellent and, and what we call member joy. We like to use the phrase member joy. So our, you know, do, do you have a Netflix subscription, David? Do, the answer yeah. is yes. Okay, great, great. We hadn't, <laughs> we hadn't, we hadn't practiced this before, but good, correct, correct answer. But, but the, the, you know, the goal as an organization is how do we bring we like to say joy to our members of course how do we also run you know widely successful business at the same time and and the culture and the learning piece is a is a sort of tactic and an enabler for that end end result of excellence so in our minds there's a sort of mindset we need to have as talent management and entity practitioners which is to say let's keep our focus on the end goal mm. the end goal is excellence and how we arrive at that may not May not need um, may not need talent to be at the center of that. May not need HR to be at the center of that. You give them complex challenges, mm. give them feedback, let them get on with it. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about feedback, the role of that from a learning perspective. But that's a big part of it in mm. terms of growth. What we've seen is is that you know career growth, of course, is important. Mm. Um, although we hire fully formed adults, we hire people who can get the job done, who are really ambitious. They also they're not perfect. They also want to grow. Um, and so I think where the, the gaps that we're seeing now is around, um, to your point, actually, what does it look like to um, enhance and refine the excellence? Mm-hmm. How do we grow people that are already pretty, um, pretty uh, established in their, in, their pretty fu- in their functional expertise? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's probably where some of the gaps are um, in terms of um, talent management and L&D more broadly. Yeah, it makes total sense, and and maybe it's a good time to then touch on yep. on that feedback. Then, yep. then Kenny, what does what does that look like? Because what what I'm what I'm hearing here is you're you're hiring smart people because I suppose you can attract smart people. Uh, your uh, your 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 managers are equipped, I suppose, to to provide the the direction. So you've got smart people pointing in the right way, working yep. on uh, uh, on challenges. Uh, you, they need to be assimilated into your culture, and the way that they're going to do that is by receiving feedback on uh, well, absolutely. clarity and feedback. So, what does that look like? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And that's a it's a great segue, and and to impress impress upon the listener, you know, there are lots of models of feedback right out mm. there. You know, so many of them. Um, you know, show your intention, be specific, action orientated, all of all of that, and they're and they're fine. Um, but feedback at Netflix is this is the first company I've worked at where you could be on the call, you can mm. get off the call and someone can say, Hey, you know what? Just want to let you know, I thought X, Y, and Z. I think next time you could do ABC. Yeah. And it's quite shocking, but refreshing at the same time. Mm. Um, and you know, yes, we, we have some of the systems that other companies will have like 360 cycles, um, where we encourage people to use the platform to, to give each other feedback. Um, and so we have, and we have some other, you know, to keep it broad, we have other programs that are really powerful. Um, internally in fact we have often our leaders coming back saying that um it's been some of the most developmental uh developmentally challenging processes that they've been through when we look at our feedback system so if you you know if you work at netflix you have to be ready i mean it's it's a developmental experience you know Mm. i can't remember who the um 
the author was, but there was a book, wasn't there, called um, uh, Deliberately Developmental Organizations. Uh, oh, I can't yeah. remember the, Robert Leahy maybe, or something like that. But, but there's, there's a whole piece of work around that. And I think our feedback culture enables that. So uh, we, where, we've got places to go. I think we've got some uh, room to grow in this. Mm. We encourage people to give in the moment ongoing feedback. Mm. And again, I think we do that better than places I've worked at before, simply because the culture memo is um, uh, it's front and center of, yeah. of what we do. And so people are enabled and people are empowered to give feedback. Yeah. Um, it also helps that we're an America, a West Coast based organization. So Americans tend to be a little bit more direct than, mm. um, than probably us Brits uh, <laughs> and our HQ, our HQ in Amsterdam, again, you know, forgive the generalizations, but our Dutch colleagues tend to be a little bit more direct yeah. um, than us Brits do as well. So all of those things culturally, the sort of national cultures that we have mm. across the organization all helps foster, I think, um, that feedback culture. But we absolutely have, still have a lot of work to do. There are different cultures across the globe, of course, uh, where feedback lands slightly differently. Mm. Um, but in short, that is a, it's a key part of, of, of how we learn. And of course, it, you know, it ties into a lot of the work around 70-2010 um, that, that yeah. um, we've talked about as an industry in the past. Yeah, brilliant. You can, yeah, you can, you can tell that to that, you know, if you're receiving feedback uh, immediately after uh, the, you know, performing, doing, doing the work, being, uh, uh, working alongside colleagues, you, it can't help but be uh, powerful, yeah. you know, both timely and specific, rich in the culture. So, uh, so you, you can, you can tell there that, uh, that, um, it's it's it sounds like a, a development culture that uh, that many listening to this will uh, would would could, yeah. would only aspire to uh, 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 to be a part of or have in their organisation. Uh, but Kenny, like um, so so you're at Netflix, um, yeah, uh, which which is of course is, uh, is which is an alluring and aspirational brand. Um, I was at uh, I was at Disney, of course, which is the other end of the yeah. uh, the the maturity scale. I have, I have my Disney posters behind me. If <laughs> listeners may not be able to see, well, won't be able to, to see this, but uh, I'm pointing to my Iron Man uh, picture behind me. So I came prepared, uh, Dave, and I thought you might like my Disney presentation. I mean, when I joined when I joined Netflix, I must I must admit, before the interview, I was I was wondering whether I should take the po the posters down, um, <laughs> given that um, they weren't exactly on brand. Although although to be to be said to be fair. I, the time we did have the marvel ip on the platform right. until netflix until <laughs> disney decided to, <laughs> they have it to disney plus it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so so disney celebrating 100 years uh of existence Amazing. um this year so uh so there, there's uh there, there's rich legacy there and one of the real benefits was that that people came in with an association with the brand a love of the brand and then yeah. our job was to to enhance that in some way um uh, and immerse people in the culture we had some flagship learning experiences yeah. uh, for uh, for uh, so I was based in the UK, which was the European headquarters, and we yeah. had a welcome to Disney Day, and we had uh, a representative of each of the the, the main uh, business functions to come and talk about the history of their function, some of the key milestones, and also to to entice people with here's what's coming. So uh, I saw some uh, some line drawings of, uh, of of an upcoming Toy Story sequel. Uh, when I was there, we <laughs> saw uh, a little snippet of what uh, The Little Mermaid uh, uh, on Broadway was going to be like. So every time you went along, and I was, I was fortunate to go along to many because it was my team that uh, that, that ran the day, um, you, they, you would, it, the whole thing was wonderment. It was, you know, so, and, and creating a, a, a unique 
and exciting experience so that that people turning up it was never to 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 remember everything during that day you never could but it was about dialing up the excitement and and letting people know they've made the right decision and we had this wonderful first line manager experience where we whisked uh first line managers off to to disneyland paris and they would be immersed there and that and the whole thing culminated in them being measured up for for an um a, a part character then having the training about that how that character moves uh even okay. doing their signature and then they'd go out for five minutes in the outfit into the park and the whole okay. idea was is that you are in charge of a group of people who may be uh uh just a little removed from our uh our audience our mm. our customer you're going to have an experience so that you take it back and you remind them on a daily basis what this is all about. So, so love that. It was a wonderful experience. I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to be part of it already. I mean, David, I know you're not at Disney anymore, but you sold it well. <laughs> thank, you, uh... thank you. Well, I want, I wonder, as going back to, to there before, you're, you're at the other uh, end of the maturity scale. You're, you're a yeah. newish company um, with, um, but you still have that, that allure, the aspiration. I wonder, do you have any flagship learning experiences? So you tap into the, uh, the excitement yeah. of, uh, of new hires or, or, or your employees uh, who are already there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. So I think, um, I mean, I, I can talk a little bit about what, what we do mm. uh, when, when it comes to onboarding at, um, at Netflix. So we used to, first of all, we used to do a lot of that. So we'd fly people over mm. to, to LA. Uh, this was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, and it was it's, it's talked about so much. When I joined Netflix, that's often what people talked about. And of course, as you know, there's the experiential aspect, as you've talked about, in terms of the actual program itself. But then there's the connection, the relationships, the meeting mm. people. And of course, being in LA, being at you know, a swanky hotel somewhere or whatever retreat is always is always nice. Post pandemic, we've had to be uh, more, um, you know, fiscally uh, mindful, um, and thoughtful about how we how we do onboarding. Um, but of course, the brand is so strong. So, you know, I think I think you've made a good point, you know, for, for people listening to this, um it's really important if you're in the hr talent space to to what i like to think of have a business mindset mm. or i like to see myself as a, as a business person operating in the hr talent talent world yeah. and what, what i mean by that well you know it, it is crucial that people leave onboarding with a, a great understanding and feeling for the product mm. you know being able to love the product so I, I, as you were talking about being measured up and 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 you know being in the park i i could see it i could feel it yeah. i was tingling it it was coming alive <laughs> for me and so so we do that we um we you know of course a lot of people know um our content because they'll often be subscribers and members before they join but we'll put our content front and center we take yeah. people through um to give you a little bit of a flavor we take people through what is it like to make a show yeah. What are all the different components of making a show? Um, and sometimes we might have cast members uh, talking about different aspects and experiences. And, and it's quite an eye-opening experience when you get to see the sort of, sort of nitty-gritty of it. Um, I'm reminded of a comment of a mutual friend of ours, Nick Shackman Jones. He'd often say, when we work together at, uh, in the consulting world, he'd often say, clients don't want to know how the sausage is made. So don't give them all the detail. They just yeah. want to eat the sausage. <laughs> but, it, but in this case, it's quite eye-opening when you get to see that end-to-end. So that's, um, uh, that's one thing that we do, just sort of immersing people in that. And then, of course, you know, going back to the culture piece, um, you know, we have a number of different um, 
ways in which we help people understand the culture. So memos are, are really important. Um, mm. I've never been at a company where I've had to read so many memos before joining. Um, so we, we, do, we do a good job of codifying the culture. I would say mm. probably um, people often feel overloaded, perhaps um, if I'm completely honest in terms of the, the memos that we have and, um, and we do write a lot down. And I think that, you know, David, that helped in the COVID um you know for context for listeners you know probably around 40 percent of our employee base joined in the last couple of years oh, wow. so we're, we're around ten thousand people so mm -hmm. if you think about that kind of level of scale the question is well how do you help people buy in engage imbibe the um the culture mm -hmm. um so our onboarding experience is, is important for that and, and we do that um at regional levels um and then uh, we have a number of different sort of seminars, Culture Connects, uh, and then ultimately uh, encouraging people to read our, our documentation, which again, it's, um, it's, a, it's a level of sort of rigor that we apply that I just haven't seen. Um, uh, so this is, consider this my, my plug to anyone that um, is interested in, in, in joining Netflix. Uh, if this kind of culture inspires you, then I'm always happy to catch up with people. Uh, just mm. join, just find me on, on LinkedIn. We can talk more for sure. Yeah, brilliant. I, I, what you just described there, uh, of course, uh, uh, Netflix uh, as a as a business um, uh, massively uh, grew in in um, uh, customer acquisition during uh, during COVID times, didn't they? So so of course you uh, you hired an enormous amount, and then you face uh, similar challenges that uh, that that everybody else did if people are working remotely how do they become familiar with the culture because i think that uh, that the, what we've not been so ready to admit in learning and development is that the the majority of that development the cultural development uh, was done despite l d and that was just by being in meetings uh, working alongside colleagues uh, and then yeah. role modeling what you saw was um uh was getting the results that were required so it was so so it it was much so you could, i suppose it's unfair to say that it's uh, it dis, it's it's totally despite l d because it's also a lot of the time despite an employee's um uh, full consideration of 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 them developing because it, it, some of yeah. it does happen by osmosis. I mean, yeah. uh, since since I, I was going to say uh, since the dawn of humanity, but it's even been in the uh, in the animal kingdom. You watch, yeah. you try, <laughs> and then you, yeah. you learn from the re the, re the response that you get. But so so it yeah. sounds as if um, uh, Netflix went into that whole situation with eyes wide open. But I suppose uh, uh, you know um, uh, a lot on the table as well, like a lot yeah. of. Uh, a lot to lose if you got it wrong. If you if forty percent of your uh, uh, of your employee base has been uh, uh, has been acquired since uh, lockdown times, yeah, ex exactly. And and you know because you know as you scale the way that as you know the way you do things if you're a nimble small startup of fifty people, a hundred mm -hmm. people, even five hundred or thousand people, it's very different to how you do that at ten thousand. Yeah. Uh, and so with that very uh, sudden and quick um, headcount growth, the, the challenge then is, okay, well, since culture is an important tactic towards excellence and, and business output and, and, and goals, uh, how do we get people on the same page? You know, mm -hmm. how, particularly where, uh, you know, when you describe one thing, let's say it's feedback, uh, you describe that in, you know, you know that, that sort of way of working looks different in, let's say, Asia mm -hmm. or South America, where, um, 
you know, some of some people might be familiar with Erin Meyer's work on the culture map. And you know, we know that there are different uh, cultures respond differently towards hierarchy and things like that. Mm. So, so yeah, so so post pandemic, we're seeing a need to create greater alignment to use that word mm. around really important principles. One of the things we do, and I think we've made this quite public as well, is yearly review the culture memo uh, yeah. and go over it. Um, and there's you know, that happened this year, and no doubt that will continue to happen where it's refined, uh, so that we're all um, we all understand and we're all using the same language. Again, it's 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 performance. You know, I think mm. probably if anyone if you take away take away anything from this, it's um, you know some people describe culture as the way we do things around here and how we perform well if you're all using different language you know what do you think that does to performance in the end in terms of how you work together yeah so it's, it's really confused, important we, it? yeah, yeah. It's confuse things isn't it yeah exactly exactly right and so um you know to give some some examples we will talk about things like informed captaincy again it's netflix jargon essentially it's this idea that for any piece of work um, there is there is one person who is ultimately responsible um, for getting that done. They farm mm. for dissent, so they um, they seek different perspectives, but ultimately it's on them and they own it. And they have what we have, what we call an informed leader. So uh, a leader who ensures that um, they've got the context, they're providing the context so that quote unquote informed captain, the person that is doing the work, um, but they don't do the work for them. Mm. Uh, they, they understand whether there are any material bets um, and decisions that they may need to weigh in on and veto, um, but ultimately they, they they give their team that sort of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's a very intentional way of working. It's a it's a sort of a shared language, and we we challenge each other to say, actually, who is informed captain on this piece of work? Mm -hmm. And it just makes things much easier. But again, just to be completely honest, I'm not saying um, this is universally uh, and consistently applied in the way that we'd like it to be i think we've still got work to do i think we always uh, we often say we, we suck compared to where we um hope to be in the future mm. um and so there's this constant improvement when it comes to being consistent around our culture yeah i think that uh, there's a humility to that uh, and i think that to that that do us, it would do us all a lot of favors if we just admit that we're uh, that uh, that this is as uh, this is as bad as it'll ever be. <laughs> we stuck at it at the moment compared yeah. to what in the future. I love that. I absolutely love it. Uh, and I can imagine, uh, Kenny, that uh, um, that Netflix is looking to crack some of the concerns that many other organizations are, such as faster upskilling and reskilling. The you know it's a tight labor market talent uh, retention is going to be a, a, a key focus and you know you retain people by by giving them challenging work and letting them know that they can improve their prospects via development uh, and growth um also a focus on future skills with uh, with the pace in which things are, are moving so uh, how are you going about this like, like if, if we focus on upskilling and reskilling which is which really is uh you know it's i think it's the number one priority and has been for a couple of years now yeah it's interesting, David. I was I was thinking about this, and I was listening to uh, I think I was listening to Josh Bursin not not too long ago, and some other um, commentators about the whole sort of skills based organization piece, mm. and 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 that isn't something that we explicitly have talked about as a as a talent function. Of course, it it, it exists, um, and again, it just goes back to the point that the people that we tend to hire will often have been doing that role for quite a long time. Mm. And they've got the expertise. They've developed. They've demonstrated that skill, but they really want to do it at Netflix. Mm. Yeah. So, so they've they've come in with with that. I, I would say that. Um, but, but that said, one thing we are doing is we uh, 
we're looking at sort of was it look like to have sort of an internal ecosystem of talent that can mm. very easily be mobile uh, across different functions uh, you can talk about it as a talent marketplace other people have different mm. sort of names for it so i'd say probably that's the closely most closely related initiative that we've been talking about um uh, this idea of a sort of a global ecosystem um I hate using these buzzwords and I find myself using these buzzwords. So I must, I'm going to give myself a slap on the wrist every, every time <laughs> I say, uh, gosh, wow, I'm shuddering. Um, but, but I, I think you, I think you get the point. And, and it's, and I think from a economical perspective or commercial perspective, it's, uh, it makes sense because we focus, companies focus a lot on recruitment and talent acquisition, but actually it's much cheaper, of course, to hire internally. So we're trying to get that right balance between buying externally and building, um, internally through, um, career mobility, and and that's probably to your question. Yeah, it's one of the biggest things that we now uh, want to turn our attention to, which is mm. um, yes, people come for the brand, people come for the complexity of the business, people come for the opportunity, and they come for the compensation and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but we know that career mobility, career growth, mm. is really important to people, um, and so. Yes, skill development is there, but actually it's for us, it's a bit more about um, how do we create opportunities for people. Um, in terms of attrition and retention, actually our attrition rates, when I last checked, were around 10%. So our attrition mm, rates are wow. actually quite low compared yeah. to, so I know we're in a fortune position, fortunate position in that regard. Yeah, that's right. A good, yeah, strong position to uh, to build from. I know that uh, that, um, that uh, in an when I first joined Disney, it was very siloed, uh, and each of the the uh, business functions reported into the US uh, ultimately. So it wasn't at all integrated, uh, and that meant that 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 um, talent swapping between functions was very very rare. Um, yeah. uh, and there was a bit there would you could you could say that there was a bit of talent hoarding going on, which which create some disgruntlement because uh, it's all right if uh, if you're being hoarded and inevitably or on your own timeline you will be uh, rewarded uh, with uh, with um, with a move up or a promotion um but some people did want to experience uh, other parts of the organization and for some people it didn't happen in their desired time frame so we lost good people because of that siloed uh, and an unintegrated approach that did ultimately change. There was a president appointed for the whole of EMEA, uh, and then oh, okay. we then it was integrated with a with a, a one voice, one vision uh, mantra, uh, and we saw much more as a as a result. But you can see how uh, organisations that are are organised and structured. Um, but for at some point, good reason, uh, you know, um, and and for uh, for efficiency and effectiveness can sometimes become outdated, and then you've got good people being disenfranchised and uh, and and leaving. So uh, so it's one of those that uh, we've all got to keep a keen eye on. I'll be interested to know, Kenny. Do you in your L and D and HR team uh, hold yourself kind of accountable for that internal mobility, or is that an aspiration that you know in L and D we, we we can be guilty a lot of the time for not knowing whether what we do has an impact or it has the desired impact? Whereas if we were really doing our jobs and we held ourselves to account, then people would be moving fluidly through and through different roles in our organisation as a as a as a hard metric. Where, whereabouts are you on on that? Yeah, look, I, I'd be honest and say we, we're we're in the um, we're at the beginning stages mm. of of creating that that sort of pipeline of of and, and 
adding more structure, I'd say, to that. Mm. Because, of course, people do move, and so there is yeah. internal mobility. Uh, we've got lots of examples internally of that. But I think it's not happening at the scale and mm. pace that, that we'd, we'd want. So, so yeah, that's something we're turning our, our attention to. And in terms of who's sort of accountable for that, um, you know, again, one of our culture tenants is what we call freedom and responsibility. Mm. And we place... Mm ultimately we place accountability on on leaders and on leadership mm. um so really it's you know we encourage our leaders and, and in fact you, you might call it a soft mandatory there's, there's mandatory isn't a word you'll ever hear um spoken at uh, at netflix mm. but let's just say there is a there's a strong expectation at least um that leaders would have kind of growth conversations that you and i mm. are familiar with with their team members um and then our role in talent and hr of course is to create the infrastructure mm. um to allow for that but if, if it's okay, one thing that's come to mind, David, as you mentioned that is, uh, again, for context, for listeners, you know, just to think about the kind of, again, this is around the challenges that, um, that we're trying to crack at Netflix. And if you just think about the kind of people we have, so you can have a, a great content exec who was at the BBC or, or the ITV or some of the other international um, broadcasters. Um, and, you know, in the entertainment industry, if you're a content exec, you are you're hired to pick great shows you're hired to give great feedback on scripts you're mm. hired for your connections in the market and things like that but typically you're not hired to be a, a leader yeah well i should say typically so my sister-in-law uh, works in the entertainment industry as a commissioning editor and one of the things she'll say to me she's like kenny i'm you know the expert my my role doesn't require me to do a lot of leadership as such mm. because it's not it's not a common thing i'd say in industry and so um, you know, and there are other people who have been in the industry far longer than I, who have their own experiences. But I think one of the areas that we're needing to innovate around and also create um, a bit more clear expectations around is what does it mean to be a creative mm. and a leader? Yeah. yeah it's a big, big um, opportunity area for us because so many of our, you know, if you take Google's, probably the Google, the primary function in Google is like, you know, your engineers. Well, yeah. you know, ultimately, you know, the, the primary function for us, as much as we've got lots of great functions, is our, our content teams. Yeah. Um, and so there's a big opportunity and challenge for us around what does leadership mean where you have people who throughout their career, they have been used to being IC specialists, mm. great at picking, picking shows. And so it's a big debate we're having internally and just something that I thought um, I'd mentioned. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and you know, it reminds me of uh, some work that uh, uh, that an HR team did in uh, an area of Disney with creative career ladders. And so that was recognising that you've got these incredibly talented, creative people that had little or no desire to become leaders, but you can't just leave them on the level that they are. So it's almost as if exactly. the, another framework was created. Uh, again, like, yeah, so context, again, is so crucial because a cookie cutter approach or leaving things like as, as they are means that that you will lose good people unless you adapt to uh, to your context and then equip your your people managers and I suppose the employees themselves with the tools as well as the framework in order to, to grow their career and as we all wish to do in our organizations improve our prospects. Yeah, exactly. In that context, where we keep coming back to what is so, so critical, you know, mm. when I joined, one of the first things I did um, is is really do some discovery work to understand what are the challenges in the, yeah. in the business. You know, we you've talked about this a lot on your podcast in terms of being need-based, discovery-based rather than uh, topic-based. Mm. Um, and one of the things I learned is that, you know, again, particularly in Amir, if we think back to some of our leaders, some of these folk have not worked, not all of them, but there's a good proportion who haven't worked in a corporate environment. Mm. Maybe they've come from independent freelancer gigs 
And if you're in a freelance world, there's a whole different way of operating and being. Yeah. Feedback probably isn't a consistent thing because maybe you're only going to work with them for three months. And if you don't like them, you won't have them on your project <laughs> next time around. And so understanding that context is critical to then shaping and informing our initiatives. Um, you know, too often I think HR and talent is sort of a, 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 a solution looking for a problem. And yeah. I think we need to sort of reverse that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, now, taking a, a sideways uh, step, Kenny, um, you had the benefit of working with uh, with friend of the show, Nick Shackleton-Jones, you mentioned uh, yeah, earlier on Nick. as well. And so uh, I'd personally like to know how uh, working with Nick uh, has informed your L&D practice uh, and, how that, uh, and how that now works in Netflix. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, so, yeah, a lot of your listeners will be familiar with with Nick, and he's a good friend. And as you say, we worked together for a number of years. Um, where do I start? This could be a whole hour <laughs> podcast in itself, but I'm, I, I know we don't have the time, so I'm gonna gonna keep it short. Um, you know, he's now written two two books, or at least mm. the second edition of his his first one. So his his thinking will be um, well known to your audience. I think probably the what what it comes down to in terms of what I've taken away from Nick working with him is one. Um, not being afraid to push the boundaries. Mm. First of all, um, he has a he has a, a personal blog called uh, well, personal and professional blog called a conventional right, and yeah. I think that probably sum summarizes it. And so I've, I've you know been able to really push the boundaries, and not just the boundaries in the work, but boundaries in thinking. Yeah. And I, I grew up um, a little bit of a philosophical background. I taught sort of critical thinking when I was probably. Yeah, maybe sort of 15 years ago now and so we both had a similar and he started out in education mm -hmm. um and so we were both sort of thinking differently about about the space um uh we we did a lot of experience design work uh and so i learned a lot about you know how do you how do you shift people mm -hmm. how do you change people? what does it really mean um to land behavior change and so we did a whole range of projects i'll quickly tell, tell one story i remember um we were doing a, a, I think it was a CIPD conference maybe. Um, and one of the sessions was on inclusion and mm. uh, we were talking about micro inequities and we wanted to take people through um, a meaningful experience. Again, Nick's rationale again is if you want people to start doing something differently, you've got to do something different with them. Yeah. Uh, something that um, is uh, effectively significant is maybe the language that he might use. Um, and. And so we, long story short, we set up a uh, an exercise and uh, we gave people these, uh, we planted these instructions. So a team exercise, you've got, let's say you've got 100 people in a room, groups of six or seven, and they all had different instructions. So one mm. instruction might be, you know, talk over the other person as you're doing an exercise with them. Another person might be mispronounce this person's name. And, you know, you can imagine all sorts of uh, instructions. Um, now, what happened is halfway through the session, uh, you know, and I should say the purpose of this again, to be clear, was we wanted people to experience exclusion so we could talk about what that's like. Now, what happened is someone then left the room. Someone walked out of the conference uh, and Nick, Nick and I looked at each other and thought, oh gosh, what's going on there? So Nick I went after them and explained and said what happened. And basically she had been really offended by what was going on in the group. And of course the group were just doing their job. And so Nick explained, look, this is part of the exercise. This is why we're doing it. It's just going to ask you to come back in. Now, you know, they, this person was fine in the end. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what we what we were doing was simulating the idea of uh, being excluded so that yeah. we could then debrief and, and talk to people about how that felt and, and, and do something memorable. Now, 
probably your audience is thinking, well, what are the ethical boundaries around that? I mean, mm. you're really pushing it. And that's the, the reality is yes. And this has happened. I, I, I could give you some more examples, but this has happened time and time again, where we are, we're learning about how do you do these experiences that are mm. memorable, that really change people. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, Nick would often talk about if you want someone to, uh, you know, believe in climate change, maybe you, if you flooded their house, what, what, what would that do? Yeah. And not that we're going to go around um, flooding people's houses, but <laughs> it's, it's really around how do we take that experiential element yeah. to making a difference. So, you know, long story short, I'm definitely a, a fan of Nick's work and a good friend. And, um, you know, we could talk all day around, around some of the stuff we used to do. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing, Kenny. The reason I asked the question is that uh, that Nick, Nick's been on, I think, uh, three or four times. Uh, and um, uh, first of all, you know, I I I love his book. Um, I hope he's listening and and uh, and feeling uh, very pretty very proud that we're uh, that yeah. we're in this chat. Uh, but uh, but I think that uh, it's one of very few L and D books that I've read. It is by an L and D leader who's got the badge for actually doing the job. And when you read it, you recognise the challenges and the the solutions that would actually work it goes a long way it's not theoretical uh in a in an inaccessible way it's grounded in reality so the opportunity to speak with you about how it lands in reality in in-house yeah. lnd i think is uh, was 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 too good to pass up uh, but but kenny as we uh, we approach the end of the uh, the conversation i think it, it, you know uh well, we, I've, 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 do another two two hours two more rounds i was gonna i was gonna get you to commit on the on the, on tape to to coming back so uh, but i think you've already happy, to, happy to. <laughs> um but uh, but so to wrap this one up um there will be plenty of people listening who would love to work uh, at a brand like netflix uh, so uh what skills and experience do you think stood you in best stead for getting the role and working there so I guess there's, I guess I've got two answers running through my head on on this one. I think I came into the role with um, already quite a lot of experience, which you know, thankfully was was quite powerful, uh, or at least influential for my manager, my hiring manager. But I think when I think about what we look for at Netflix, one of the things is is a level of emotional intelligence. I'd mm. say, um, you know, when you get it depends on the level of, of course you're hiring for. If you're hiring at quite a senior level. Of course, at that point, you know, people expect that you can do the job, you've done the job, you've demonstrated that. But often it's those interpersonal those soft skills, the kind of self-awareness, selflessness, mm. um, judgment. I would say if you're if you're applying for a leadership role, demonstration of good, high quality judgment and decision making is absolutely mm. critical. And it's something we, we look for uh, effective communication. Um, courage. I mean, a lot of the things that people will know about, but if I was to signpost a few for anyone that's um, looking at a role, you know, demonstration of judgment, effective communication, and and the courage to make difficult decisions. And, and why do I say that? Well, you know, Netflix is known for pivoting. You know, our mm. uh, shout out to my global talent management team and colleagues, um, and one in particular to, to Julia, um, who has been there probably the longest um from, from out of the, a number of us and and she's a you know agile hr queen i would say right and and so um but but i say all that to say you know, we pivot quite a lot at netflix we make decisions and and we and we maybe we backtrack on certain decisions you know the global one that is known is ads you know we said we wouldn't do ads on our service now we're doing ads but why am i saying that well it, it takes courage to make yeah. those decisions and change the decisions. So I would say that's one thing that we really, really look out for. And then, you know, if you're an IC, I would say curiosity, you know, um, that was the advice that was given to me when I joined, you know, are you curious, demonstrate a 
shed ton of uh, curiosity, mm. either in others, yourself, or uh, in the work to be done. So I hope that's um, helpful for people. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kenny. And I see individual contributor. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah individual Yeah, that's yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, Kenny, that's uh, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for for being so so candid. I think that uh, everyone will benefit uh, listening. Uh, oh, from, pleasure! From we were just getting started. I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like you've ended the day. I feel like I've gone out a day and you've ended it early. And I've, what did I what did I do wrong? No, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, like, but I think shuffling I think... the papers. And... That's right. So, so we'll uh, we'll we'll book in another uh, to uh, to have another oh, exploration. Yeah, and uh, and um, uh, what was it I learned in um, uh, about um, keeping keeping people interested, sharing a metaphor, but not uh, but not um, closing off that metaphor or that story. And so, mm. perhaps to keep people intrigued, uh, maybe we'll keep the uh, the um, the the third bullet point from uh, from earlier on in the conversation until the second uh, i do have the third bullet point it came to me, actually, but yeah I, I do i do have it but we can we can let's save it yeah let's let's save it if you want to know what the third bullet point is tune in on the next episode oh that's just cruel uh anyway well, we, we can end it on that on that cruel uh, note this has been such a, a uh an enlightening conversation kelly it's all all has left me to say is thank you very much for being a guest for the first time on learning and development podcast appreciate it thanks it's always a privilege to take a peek at L&D inside the world's most aspirational brands, how they meet expectations and achieve their definitions of success. And this was especially the case. So thank you, Kenny, for being so candid and sharing so much. It was fascinating. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and thousands of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn. Again, you'll find links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.